You're listening to the Women's Health Cast, a podcast about issues and innovations in women's health from the University of Wisconsin-Madison Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. I'm Jackie Askins. Before we get into this week's interview, I just want to let our listeners know this episode deals with miscarriage and pregnancy loss. Dr. Kristen Sharp leads the UW Health Hope After Loss Clinic, where she supports patients experiencing a pregnancy or infant loss or preparing for a pregnancy following a loss. We talked about how common miscarriage and pregnancy loss are, what we understand about the causes, the complex landscape of grief following a pregnancy loss, and important advice for healthcare teams as well as family and friends who are supporting people through a loss. October is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, and I am very pleased to be joined by Dr. Kristen Sharp to learn more about this very important topic. Yeah, thank you for having me. So I wanted to talk to you in particular because you're the creator and the leader of the Hope After Loss Clinic here at UW Health. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about the need that you were hoping to meet when you created this clinic? Yeah, absolutely. Um, As an OBGYN, pregnancy loss is something that we experience a lot um, with our patients. Um, And there's the whole clinical side of pregnancy loss, but probably even more significant is the emotional side of pregnancy loss. Um, And that often gets lost in the standard care that we provide to people. Um, I personally have experienced a loss myself with my son Caleb back in 2013. And going through that really opened my eyes to see what um, deficits there are in the care that we provide to these women, both in the hospital setting as well as in the clinic setting. Um, So I wanted to try to start filling in those gaps, um, both through this clinic as well as through educating our residents and our students um, about this very important um, experience. I want to talk a little bit about some definitions because there's a it feels like a, maybe a spectrum of words that get used in this um, from pregnancy loss, miscarriage, stillbirth, infant loss. It feels to me like they're all a little, maybe a little bit different. Um, what do each of those terms mean? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question because um, there can be a lot of confusion. Um, so pregnancy loss in general just means pregnancy loss really at any stage of pregnancy. You could be a day pregnant. You can be full term pregnant. Um, where the other terms start breaking it down by gestational age. So a miscarriage um, is, from a clinical perspective, considered to be anything under 20 weeks. Most commonly, however, we'll see people who experience miscarriage in the first trimester of pregnancy. Um, And that can happen anywhere from 15 to 25% of pregnancies. Um, Stillbirth is defined clinically as a loss at 20 weeks or greater, so 20 weeks to kind of full term of pregnancy. Um, And that is less common than miscarriage. It's about one out of 160 pregnancies. So infant loss is considered um, loss of a child really any time after birth. Infant loss occurs in one out of every 220 births. Do we know what causes miscarriage or pregnancy loss? We know some things that can cause it. Um, On the flip side, there are losses that occur, both early losses as well as stillbirths, that we don't ever get an answer for. Um, For early pregnancy loss, we know the most common reason for that is a genetic accident. Um, It's amazing that we are sitting here as live people because there is a million steps in this very intricate process 
in early pregnancy to form a healthy pregnancy. And it just takes one cell not dividing as it should to cause a genetic accident that cascades into a loss. When you get into later pregnancy losses, there's definitely a lot of other things that can be occurring. Genetic causes can still happen. Um, otherwise, other things we look at are, is there an umbilical cord accident? Is there an issue with how the placenta was functioning? Um, things like that. Does experiencing one loss or one miscarriage make it more likely that someone will have future pregnancy losses? Not necessarily. Uh, with miscarriages, you can even have two back-to-back miscarriages, and your rate of a recurrent miscarriage is the same as if you've never had one. But um, for miscarriages, if you get it three or beyond, the rate does start to go up per pregnancy. However, you are at such high chance of having a successful pregnancy that the odds are still much in your favor. In terms of later losses, it depends on what the cause is. Most likely, your you know, next pregnancy will be a healthy pregnancy, but there can be reasons that cause a loss that can recur in future pregnancies. So oftentimes, we will manage those pregnancies a little bit different. We may monitor baby more frequently, um, do some medical interventions, it, it, things like that. It all kind of depends on what, what the cause was. Are there any... Um like tests or follow-ups that you can do after a pregnancy loss that can help narrow down what the cause was? Yep, definitely. Um, it, it depends on what stage of pregnancy that loss was or the circumstances of the loss will help us decide what the best appropriate testing is to see if there is an underlying cause and something that you would be at risk of recurring again. So some of that may include blood tests. Other things may include doing a special Um, ultrasound or image of the uterus to make sure that the uterine cavity is of a normal configuration. Um, I definitely would recommend talking with your obstetric provider about what workup may be necessary. If it's a first-time miscarriage and you haven't had one before, they may say, hey, it's most likely a genetic um, cause that happened um, and not recommend uh, an evaluation, which is supported by the the data that we have. But if you're experiencing recurrent miscarriages, or certainly if you have a later loss, we would definitely recommend an evaluation for underlying causes. Um, And a lot of that can be performed by your primary obstetric provider, but there are also questions that need to be addressed by a high-risk OB provider. So they may refer you to a maternal fetal medicine specialist to help complete that evaluation and give recommendations for that next, next pregnancy. What kinds of discoveries kind of help um, determine the, the follow-up path then? Yeah, um, certainly your overall medical history is helpful because there can be medical issues that someone has that can predispose to loss. So we might take a really detailed personal medical history as well as family medical history to see if that uncovers something. Um, other things that we consider are, you know, for example, like with a later loss, was there any preterm labor or cervical shortening present? Those may be things that we would definitely want to address and, and talk about interventions for the next time around. Um, you know, I'm just trying to think. I'm trying to think in general terms and not get too, too specific. Um, but what I would say is, you know, 
the the experience, the symptoms, um, those clinical details that happen around the time of your loss can be really, really helpful into guiding you know what is the appropriate evaluation and next steps in reducing that chance of that happening again. What does physical recovery look like after a loss? What kinds of um, supports do our bodies need? Yeah, Um, some of it depends on how far along you were in the pregnancy. With an early loss, sometimes people may experience that, like a heavier period. Um, So bleeding and cramps are really common, but from a physical perspective, your body tends to heal relatively quickly from that. With a later loss, first of all, you'll feel a lot of those same symptoms that you would if you had had a live delivery. Um, You know, and especially what can be heartbreaking for these women is their milk supply might come in. Um, So that can be really both physically uncomfortable and just mentally and emotionally anguishing. Um, Additionally, especially for you know, mid-pregnancy loss, later pregnancy loss, people can have a number of different symptoms that aren't experienced by the live birth. So people can actually experience aching arms. So feeling that that physical need to have a baby in your arm. Um, they may feel kind of more discomfort, especially just with the stress and the emotions that they're experiencing that can all translate into more physical symptoms as well. What about emotional recovery? Um, that seems like it could be a more involved process and grief is very complicated all Mm -hmm. the time. Um, What does that look like after a loss? Yeah, I would say typically the emotional recovery is a lot harder and a lot longer than that physical recovery from a loss. And what I always try to stress is the emotional experience of loss doesn't directly correlate to how far along you were in your pregnancy. I have seen people have just as much emotional anguish at a five-week miscarriage as somebody who has a full-term stillbirth. So it's really important to individualize or or recognize the the individualized experience of of grief and loss. Um, You know, grief is really, you feel like you're drowning. Um, It can be really difficult Um, And what also is unique about pregnancy loss is it can be under-recognized by those people who are closest to you or by your your healthcare team. Um, Despite how frequent loss occurs, it's not as openly talked about. It's getting better, thankfully. Um, So people are are more understanding the depth of that experience, but, but it really can be quite isolating, especially when your typical support system, your friends, your family, or even your partner um, doesn't kind of appreciate or fully understand that experience of that, of that loss. So do you have advice then for friends or family or partners who, um, you know, want to be supportive, but might not totally understand the experience or know exactly how best to be there, what to say to be helpful. Right. What do we do? That is an amazing question. Um, So I think one is just to be present and especially to be present over time. What often happens with the loss is people, you know, know, everybody circles the wagons, everybody comes to help and support. 
And then life goes on, and then people have their jobs and their family and things that take that attention away. Um, And so it can be really hard for that family that has experienced the loss when all of that initial support falls off. And actually, we know from research that the hardest emotional time after a loss is about three months afterwards. Our body does something that's quite impressive. Um, It kind of puts us into this kind of survival stage when a loss happens. Um, And you just can kind of focus on decisions that need to be made. You know, if you're doing a burial or cremation, all of those kind of hard questions We're able to do that because we're almost in a state of shock and really not experiencing that full emotional depth. As time passes, that the grief just starts to to come on stronger. And so oftentimes when that happens, people have already returned to their, their lives and you don't have that same support that you really need then. So I think my biggest suggestion is just to stay present and stay present over time check in, um, you know, ask directly how they're doing. Other things that can be helpful is if the baby had a name, using that baby's name. I think some people are so worried to bring up the loss or the baby or the baby's name because they don't want to remind the person that this happened. But, you know, what I can say from my personal experience is I thought about my son Caleb every day. Um, So somebody bringing it up to me, doesn't remind me like, oh yeah, that that loss did happen. I totally forgot about it. Rather, it made me feel like someone was walking that path with me and feel better supported and also feel like someone else is remembering my son. Um, Because what you don't want to feel like is you're the only person, you know, remembering him and celebrating him. Um, Another thing that can be helpful is, um, you know, especially around the holidays, which can be difficult, is you know, purchasing an ornament if you're a family that uses a, that has a Christmas tree or, or some little small trinket or memorabilia um, to really just um, provide that physical proof that that baby existed. That can be really helpful. And then the other thing that can be helpful is avoiding, um, how do I say this? Some of the, the the phrases that people use to bring comfort that don't bring comfort. So, you know, for example, you know, he's in a better place or everything happens for a reason. It's like, well, well explain to me the reason <laughs> why this happened. So, and I have been totally guilty of using all of those phrases in the past. Um, and it wasn't until I had my own personal experience that I was like, oh, that phrase isn't really helpful. And frankly, it's kind of bothering me um so just to be really cautious about about that i've found that validating phrases like this is so hard mm-hmm. are a little more helpful absolutely don't try to build space between you and the person grieving but that just sort of say you know, i can't i can't get my head around this because i haven't gone through it but i can't believe how difficult this is and Exactly. I'm here. Yeah. Yeah, you're there and you're walking that that journey with that person. And also just to be okay with silence, too, which I struggle with. I, you know, try to fill silence with a lot of words. And sometimes you just need to be physically there, but just, but just silent and give people that opportunity to really verbalize kind of what their needs are, what their thoughts are. Best practice in grief in general, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. 
Um, so you've given presentations about this before that I've had the, I guess, pleasure and honor of being able to watch. And one thing you've said, at least 50% of women who experience a loss will be pregnant again within about 18 months. Um, so I have a physical question of sort of in general after a loss, when is it okay to try again? Yeah, um, it depends on how far along you were with that loss and how what kind of delivery you had. So if you had um, an early first trimester miscarriage, you can try that next month to get pregnant. If it's a later loss, especially a full-term loss, we typically, for a vaginal delivery, would recommend three to six months to give your body kind of that opportunity to heal. Um, and from a C-section, typically we recommend waiting almost a year to try again to, to give fully that time to heal. And that waiting time can be, I find, both a blessing and a curse. Um, sometimes people just aren't even mentally or emotionally ready to try again. Um, but for those people that are and then are, are maybe waiting because of the way that they delivered or how far along when they were delivered, that can be really challenging. So I can also imagine that emotionally, uh, I guess it's called a rainbow pregnancy, right? Yeah. So the um, pregnancy following a loss can be really difficult and um, maybe even kind of anxiety provoking. If you've had this really difficult traumatic experience one before, it will be hard not to carry some of that with. So what kinds of supports can people ask for from their healthcare team um, to kind of help them through some of the emotional side? Yeah, um, I think that's a great question. I think one is to be open and honest and don't feel like you're being bothersome or annoying um, by asking for more. Um, I, When I meet with people in my clinic, I, I, we talk about their medical history and their loss in particular, and then, we, then I typically say, you know, what is it that you need? to get through this. You know, I say the, the typical schedule of visits is every four weeks, but for some people that might as well be four years. It just seems so long. So I say, do you need to meet more frequently or do you just need more phone check-ins or, you know, what is it, you know, that would help you essentially white knuckle this um, and get through this? So really just meeting people where they're at figuring out what their needs are and that can be in flux too they may say hey i'm totally fine i'll see you in a month and then two weeks later they're like oh, i need to check in can you listen for heart tones um so i would just tell people really feel empowered to be open and honest with your provider about what your what your needs are i have a question i guess about your clinic so um do you Do you mainly offer physical supports in the clinic? What other kinds of um, services are available? Yeah, so with my clinic in particular, I see anybody who's experienced loss in, at any stage of the journey. So that can be while they're going through a loss or after the loss and contemplating getting pregnant again. And then I also provide prenatal care for people who are pregnant again after loss um, and provide really that full scope of, of obstetric care. And what we really try to do is meet both those clinical needs as well as the emotional needs of, of those women and their families going through that journey. Um, I also work in conjunction with Julianne Zweifel, who's a clinical psychotherapist who um, has expertise in pregnancy loss, um, mood disorders related to pregnancy, kind of all of, all of that um, spectrum. 
As a physician who works with this patient population quite a bit, do you have advice for other physicians or other providers who are caring for women through pregnancy loss? What what do they need to know about their patients' um, physical and emotional needs? Absolutely. I, first of all, would encourage them, really familiarize yourself with their emotional history and their emotional needs as well. And I think equally important is to to educate yourself as a provider on what what that emotional experience of loss is, what grief is, and what are the common things that people experience during pregnancy loss, or I'm sorry, pregnancy after loss, such as, you know, anxiety, increased worry. Um, And with that, just meet people where they are. Have those frank and honest conversations about what their needs are. Don't be afraid to use their baby's name. Again, it's just, it provides that extra validation and that connection. Thank you so much for sitting down with me. Yeah, absolutely. Since October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, our next episode will focus on breast health with Dr. Laura Bazudo. Dr. Bazudo is an OBGYN with specialty training in breast surgery. We'll talk about the latest breast cancer screening guidelines and how to lower your cancer risk. The Women's Health Cast is a production of the UW-Madison Department of OBGYN. This episode was produced and engineered by Rob Garza. You can find the Women's Health Cast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. And of course, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WISCOBGYN. Let us know how we're doing, rate and review us in your podcast app, and let us know what women's health topic you'd like to learn about. Thanks for listening.